Bible study, everybody. Great to see you tonight. Glad you're here. We're going to take a moment and pray, and we'll ask God's blessing on our time. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just your grace. We thank you for uh, loving us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for revelation tonight. We thank you for your word. Ask God that as we open your word together, that we would receive of you, that we'd hear from you, that we would uh, be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. I just ask for ideas to be challenged. I pray for ways of thinking to be challenged. And I ask you that we'd be open to what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives. That we would leave behind things that just don't matter and really take hold of the things that do. And we leave behind the things that have been hindering and take hold of some things that might help us. And so I just ask you for a good process tonight of change. I ask you to be glorified. I pray that we'd have some fun as, as we hear you, we listen to you, and we allow you to have your way in our midst. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans, Book of Romans, Book of Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. And he had a volunteer to read verse 9. Romans 14, 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. All right, thanks. So some of your Bibles uh, would say, to this end, there, and Jeannie, your Bible said, for this very purpose, I believe. For this very reason. For this very reason. Yeah, so it's to this end. It's for God's purpose and design, uh, what he's about to say. And so I just want to point that out, firstly, because that's how Paul started this part of the Scripture here is that he wanted us to understand that this was God's design. And this was the purpose behind it, uh, what he describes after this. 
And so to me, that's kind of important because it speaks to a big why question. It speaks to a reason question. It speaks to one of those questions that maybe you wonder sometimes, like, well, I wonder why Jesus went through this, or I wonder why this was part of God's plan, or I wonder why the Father had this for Jesus, and what was the purpose, what was the result, uh, how does this fit into the bigger plan, the bigger picture of what God is doing, and there's one of those verses that talks about that, so that's why it, it, it jumped out to me uh, as I was just doing Bible reading, it jumped out to me as something that maybe could answer a question. And maybe you could speak to something that we've been wondering or speak to something that we've been pondering. So uh, to this very end, and again, this is a why, why, W-H-Y kind of a, a passage of Scripture. To this end, that this would be God's purpose and this would be God's design. So that's the first thing that I noticed about this verse is that it speaks to purpose and it speaks to design, which I think is important for us to understand. I'm one of those people, I have trouble sometimes remembering details, uh, but I, other details I remember for 40 years. But a lot of times I have really a hard time remembering details. And, but I, I'm a person that if I understand a concept, I understand a reason, I understand a purpose or a design for something, I'll remember it. Uh, but that's important to my brain. And so for me, if, if I'm going to learn something, I need to have some kind of a basis of understanding of it. And so whenever I read the Bible, those are things that pop out to me, those things that jump out to me. Uh, when I was in college, I spent three years, uh, at least partially, as a mathematics major in college. And uh, I was mathematics and electrical engineering. I was a double major. And so mathematics is one of those things where you can memorize stuff in it, uh, but as you get further along in it, in, in mathematics, you, you can remember, memorize certain formulas, you memorize certain ways of doing things, but you start to get into a more conceptual side of things, a more theoretical side of things. You really need to understand why. And, uh, and so to me, always when I was studying, that was something I wanted to know. I wanted to know why. And I wanted to look at questions in those kind of terms. And I found that when I'd take exams, I wasn't really that good at memorizing formulas, and so. But if I understood why, I could figure it out. Like in other words, uh, this is the per this is how the design of this is. This is how this applies to this. If I understood those things, I could figure out the answer to the question. But if it came right down to, I you just got to memorize this like rote memorization. I was in big trouble, and I was always in big trouble uh, when that would happen. And there are just certain mathematics courses were just rote memorization that I struggled in. And then there were these other mathematics courses that were supposed to be really, really hard, but they were really put forth on a conceptual level. I did great in those. That's just my way I think. And so if you don't think like me, uh, thanks for putting up with this tonight. I appreciate that. <laughs> but if you do think like me, I'm hoping that maybe some of the things will click with this. And maybe some things will make some sense to you. And you'll be able to apply that to other things and other areas, uh, which I think would be really handy. Uh, when I when I was reading through this and I was preparing this, I began to just go to all these other different areas in the scriptures, and I'll share some verses with you tonight of some of these other areas where my brain went. That this is a direct application to, and this is a direct application to that truth, or it's a direct application to that reason, or it's a direct application to that answer to that question. And so I hope you can follow along with me as we uh, 
as we run through this. So Romans 14, 9, it says in there, the other thing that struck me about this, the first thing was, okay, this is God's purpose, this is God's design of what he's about to talk about. The other thing that struck me is that it describes Jesus in his ministry this way, that Jesus died and lived. Right? Now that sounds kind of backwards, right? Because we normally think of we live and die. You know what I'm saying? Like when we describe our lives, you live and die for something. You live and die because you're alive now and then you die someday. Well, this is describing Jesus and what he did as part of God's plan and part of God's design. This verse is based on something a little bit different than that. It's based on Jesus dying than living. And the Christian life, and it's hard for us to get this, it's hard for us to conceive of this, is designed on the same principle. The Christian life is designed on the same principle of dying and then living. That's, that's what it is. Jesus talked about that. You know, he, if you lose your life for his sake, what, what does he say? Then you gain it. Right. And there's these things that Jesus would talk about that seem backwards to the way that we live and the way that we communicate about our lives. And those are the kind of backwards things. Like, you want to you want to live, you want to gain your life, well, then you, you have to lose it first. And, and you know, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. All right, so you've got these, these kind of concepts about what God is describing as and talking about what our life is like. Uh, it talks about, <clears throat> even in, in reference to the crucifixion, that we pick up our cross how often? Daily. Well, what does it mean to pick up your cross? Well, that, that's how he was killed. That was how he died. But you pick up your cross daily, you follow after Jesus, but that's how we live. And so we've got these kind of backwards ways of looking at things compared to the rest of the world looking at it like, okay, we live and we die. Jesus is saying, and Jesus is demonstrating, and Jesus is showing us you know, as part of God's design and purpose for us that Jesus led the way in how to die and then live. And I don't know if that even makes any sense, but I hope you're following on that. So he died and he lived. And that's what this whole verse has to do. Christ died. And then it talks about how he rose. And some of your Bibles uh, will use a bunch of different words. Now, some of the older versions of the Bible talk about how he rose and revived. All right, that's, that's how some of the Bibles describe that. Others just describe it as that he died and then he lived. But those two words there, rose and revived, that word revive means to be restored to life. And so he died, but then he was restored to life. In other words, he lived. And what was he restored to? What was the life he was restored to? Well, the life he was restored to, it was being enthroned with the Father. The life that he was restored to was of universal dominion. And he had to take that place and take that spot again of universal dominion over what? Everything. Universal means everything. And so... That was what was being restored to him. But because he died and he lived, the Bible describes in this verse that he is Lord, and that's an important word there, Lord, because it has a specific meaning to it. He's Lord of the dead. And he's also Lord of the living. Because he died and then he lived. So being Lord of the dead... 
Now, we're not talking about like anything creepy here. We're not talking about like any any weird thing here. He's Lord of the Dead in the sense of this. He's he, the word Lord there means ruler, owner, to govern, or to master. That's what that word means. So he is ruler of the dead, owner of the dead, governor of the dead, and master of the dead. Now, why is that important to us? Well, there's a, a couple of things behind why that's important. Let's look at some verses. First verse we'll look at Philippians, Philippians 2 9. Now, kind of interesting with the rest of that, ver- the next verse there, that at the name of. Yeah, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Now, this is why in, in a lot of cultures they don't name their kids Jesus because of that verse. Uh, because it, it would seem, and there were people in the New Testament church that were named Jesus because it was a common name. Uh, the same name as Joshua. But what, what was being set apart in this verse in Philippians, according like some people's cultural beliefs, was that that name would then be set apart. Because it doesn't say at the name of Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth or any other Jesus, just says Jesus, that every knee should bow, every tongue confess, right? So, uh, but what that verse described is that restoration process that we see, that revival process, that that being enthroned, living process, that he was dead, but then he's alive. And in him taking up that universal dominion again, that, that he had left to come and be among us, and that he was restored to once he left us. Once he had died, that's what he became. And so this idea was is that he was lifted to this position of universal ruler, owner, governor, and master. That's what Philippians talks about. The reason I'm going to get to why this is important, but that's his position, that's who he is. And so he is Lord of the dead, in order to revive them, uh, like he was revived. So that's what he does. Now, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about two things. I'm talking about a physical death, but I'm also talking about a spiritual death. And that we serve a God, we serve a Lord, who is able to revive us, who's able to bring life to us because he is Lord of the dead. So what does that mean? That means that when we physically die, whenever that is, there's a transition that takes place. And that transition is guaranteed by the fact that Jesus is Lord of the dead. Then we don't have to wonder about it. We don't have to wonder, well, do we go on or do we just cease? We don't cease, we go on. We know that because the scripture tells us that, but we also know that because Jesus is Lord of the dead. And so he is Lord of the dead in order to revive. Now you think about this in spiritual terms and you think about as we're learning through and as we go through the process of being a Christian and understanding what that means, that, that to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. We understand that we take up our cross daily, we follow him. That it's the person that truly can die that really lives. 
And so, in a very spiritual sense, there is a spiritual and there is a, 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 a death that needs to take place in us as his people in order to really live. But we can be confident in that because he's king of the dead. He's lord of the dead. And so there's nothing scary about it. And I think that's the main point that's being given here is that there's nothing scary about this process that God has us in. Nothing. That if, if we are trying so hard, we're trying to, to hold on to our life, we're going to lose it. And that's the promise. That if, if you're just going to hang on to your life, you're just going to hang on to your life, you're just going to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. It's kind of like all that stuff that, all the stuff you worry about. And all that stuff you worry about, it, it, it doesn't help to worry about it. There's a passage in, in the book of Job, and there's another passage in Proverbs where it talks about how our greatest fear comes upon us. Well, there's a reason for that. That God called us not to live in fear. God's called us to live free of that, and we don't have to live like that. And yet if we choose to, then we're bringing it on ourselves. If you can choose not to live a certain way, which you can then there's no reason to continue living like that. And, and I don't know what it is. I mean, people are comforted by that. They're comforted by something to be afraid of. I don't know. They, they're comforted. They feel like they're in control of something. I have no idea what it is. But if we have a choice not to live subjected to our fears, then why choose to do that? We can die to our fears. We can die to the things that rule us. We can die to the things that control us in order to really find life. And I don't have any way to describe that in any really logical terms. All I know is that's what Jesus said. All I know is that that is part of the purpose and design of all that he went through so that we could have life in that more abundantly. And I've come to the conclusion over the years, and, and I really tried to hammer this, this square peg into that round hole as much as I could of trying to make logical sense of everything that God says, but you just can't. Because some of the things he says are mystical. And some of the things he says are spirit. Some of the things he says have nothing to do with the limitations of our brain. They have nothing to do with the limitations of our logic. They have nothing to do with the limitations of our scientific knowledge. They have nothing to do with the limitations of our knowledge of whatever has happened in the world up until this point. Nothing to do with those things. And so because they have nothing to do with those things and because they really have nothing to do with the limitations of our mind, it's pointless for us to try to shove those kind of concepts into our brain size. It doesn't make any sense. Into our brain shape, into our brain experience, into our brain knowledge. The amount of knowledge that we have compared to even all the knowledge on the face of the earth the amount of knowledge that we possess is minuscule compared to the amount of knowledge on the face of the earth. Minuscule. Even with the internet. Even with it. 
We, we just don't know. There's things that scientists are still figuring out that we just don't know. There's things that scientists thought they figured out before and found out they didn't figure out at all. And we still don't know. And so we have to be careful of trying to shove God into a box of something that we can possibly understand because he's way bigger than that. The God that you can understand is too small. And I've talked about this before. The God that fits into your brain is too small and he will always be too small because your brain is too small. And I know we like to think of ourselves differently than that, but we are who we are. And we're the smartest of all of God's creation. Here we are. And we're still that small. And so carefully, carefully, when we begin to allow those kind of thoughts into our brain of trying to reshape God into our image or trying to reshape God into something that fits in our mind or in our concepts or in our understanding, we make him way too small. And you can serve a small God, but you're really missing a lot of the point of him being God. The God of the universe doesn't fit in your brain. He doesn't fit in your experiential base. He doesn't fit in your understanding. He just doesn't fit. He's way too big. And so his ways are not our ways. His ways are far above our ways. And so we, we need to come to some kind of resolution in our minds and our hearts and let him be big. We just do. We need to come to that. We need to come to some kind of resolution in us that allows God to be God, allows God to be God of the universe, that allows God to fill the universe to be that big that somehow we can just allow that to happen. And so concepts like this, as far as I'm concerned, they get filed in there somewhere in that big God stuff because God purposed and he designed things to die and to live. And for me to really, really say I understand that in any kind of brain way is pretty minuscule. I understand it in a brain way because he said it, not because I can conceive of it. And so Jesus said, and, and this is the part, as Paul's saying about Jesus, Paul's saying about his ministry, Paul's saying about who he is, is that God's purpose and design was that Christ would die and then he would live. And we're like him. And so part of his purpose and design for us is that we die and then we live. Now, uh, we're all going to physically die, probably, unless we're taken up or Jesus comes back or something happens. We're all going to physically die, but the Bible describes our death, what we call death, as being changed in the twinkling of an eye. Something that we don't even know happens, and we're just something and somewhere else. That death that takes place that we really experience is the death that we experience. And that's when we die to self. 
That's when we die to our passions. That's when we die to the stuff that we think is so important. That's when we die to all that stuff that we think is so great and so wonderful. And we really live for Christ. That's the death we experience. When Paul's talking to the Roman church here, he's talking to a bunch of people that are really different. They have different capacities. They have different understandings. Some of them are weak. Some of them are strong. I mean, that's who they were. Well, that's who we are. That's who people are. We all have different strengths. You might be strong in one area and weak in another. I might be strong in that area and weak in another where you're strong. I mean, that's just part of being life together is that we're going to be strong in some ways and we're going to be weak in other ways. That's just the truth. And there were some Christians that were part of the church in Rome that were really super strong in their faith, and there were some of them that weren't really super strong in their faith. Some of them that could eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and some of them that couldn't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Some of them that were able to stand uh, in persecution, other ones that ran and hid from persecution. But you look at that, and it's like, well, that's who they were. Those are the people that were there. But it's not a matter of judgment. And, and this is the part that we, the church needed to get then and the church needs to get now. Those aren't matters of judgment. If I can stand and you run, I got no ground to judge you. And you got no ground to judge me. Because that's not a matter of judgment. My weakness and your strength and your strength and my weakness, those aren't matters of judgment. That's fruitless to do that. Because how many ways could I say, okay, well, I'm strong in A, B, and C, and you're strong in D and E and F. Well, does that make me better than you? Because I'm weak in D, E, and F, and you're strong, but you're weak in A, B, and C, and I'm strong in those. Should we judge each other and get all upset? Does that make any sense? What's No. The reality of life together is that we begin to understand areas where we're weak and we begin to understand areas where we're strong. That's life together. And life together ceases abruptly when I begin to judge you in the areas that I discover you're weak in. Right? And as soon as I start judging you or you start judging me, life together abruptly ends. Because nobody, nobody likes that. Nobody. And people hide from it. People run from it. People pretend to be something they're not because they don't want to get judged. Well, let's stop judging. Accept the reality of the situation. And love each other. And I know that you say, well, that sounds easy. Because it is. Because it is. You stop the judgment, you stop the comparison, you stop trying to make yourself feel better because that person can't do this, but you can, and all the rest of that stupid stuff. You stop all that, and we just learn to live together. And there's going to be areas I'm strong in, areas you're strong in, areas I'm weak in, areas you're weak in. That's why God puts us together. I'm weak, you're strong, you're strong, I'm weak, we're all stronger when we're together. And that's the fact. So the church is knit together for those reasons. 
And and the one key thing isn't if I'm strong in this area and you're strong in that area. I'm weak in this area. You're weak in that. That those aren't. The, that's not really the key thing. Here's the key thing. The key thing is we must all agree not to live to ourselves. That's the key part of the whole thing. We can't live to ourselves. And we need to agree to that. Because when we agree to that, the judgment stops. We agree to that, then we stop looking at each other like in crazy ways. And we stop living to ourselves. What does that mean? Selfishness. Selfishness. We stop it. Right? Oh, but but humans are selfish. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, if you've ever had children, two-year-olds are very selfish. And three-year-olds. Yeah. Because uh, the world revolves around them because the world is really, really small. Right? And so everything revolves around them. They want something, they're going to let you know? Yeah, why? Because it's your job to give it to them. Right. They're going to let you know. They're going to let you know if they don't like something. Because it's your job to care. Right. And in, in their world, and I'm talking their world, they demand, they get, they don't like, it gets taken away, they want to go somewhere they go, they want to stay somewhere they stay, and this is their world. All right. These are two and three year olds I'm describing to you. Hopefully, hopefully if you've had kids, you help them through these moments to a place of maturity in their life. Otherwise, they're probably really annoying adults if you never help them through these moments. Because living for self and living in that small of a world is annoying to everybody else. And they're probably horrible drivers, too. <laughs> so part of the, the maturing process with children is helping them to understand it's not all about them. It's not their world. It's not all about them. And that we're just all in this together. And, and that's maturity. And if you grew up in a situation where maybe you didn't learn that, well, you need to learn it now. You need to learn the lesson that it's not all about you. And it's never going to be all about you. As much as you want it to be all about you, it will never be all about you. There's just way too many other people out here living in your space and in your world. And we're taking up your space and we're taking up your world and we're taking up your resources and we're taking up what you want and we're taking up what you is rightfully yours or whatever's in your head about that kind of stuff. And it's time to mature and it's time to grow up. Because the thing we need to agree on if we're going to live together in all of this is that it's not about me. And to let go of the selfish, immature ways in all circumstances... In all circumstances, it's not about me, it's about God. And that's the truth. It's about God. Self-seeking, self-seeking ways is against true faith. And if you've heard differently, okay. I'm just saying it. Self-seeking ways are against true faith. The business of our lives is not to please ourselves, but to please God. That's the business of our lives.
is to please God. And that's a maturity. And so, when I talk about death, the real death that we experience as God's people is that death to self. If it happened when we were four and five, good, great. If it happened when we were nine or ten, awesome. If it's happening when we're 30 or 40, tough days. Tough days. Or 50 or 60, tougher days. But it still needs to happen. Then there needs to come that moment where we realize it's not about me. It's not about what I want, but it's about God. And there's a death to self that happens in that, that the Bible says that we enter into true life at that moment. And you never leave it. You never leave true life after that. Because like I said, you're going to die, but you're changed in the twinkling of an eye. You don't even know. It's the rest of us that's behind when you die that feel really bad. Right? We're the mourners because we're going to miss you. <clears throat> You're not the mourner when you die. And, and I'm speaking from, I guess, experience. Everybody in my family's dead but me. Pretty much. I'm the oldest living person in my family now. And so all my people have gone before me. All right? All of them. My great-grandmother, my grandmother, my grandfather, my great-uncles, all these people that have gone on before me, my mom, my dad. I miss them. I understand the mourning process. I get it. But you know what? They were gathered to their people. They were changed in the twinkling of an eye. They just kept living. I'm the one that's mourning. So understanding God's way here is that, okay, death comes. Death what? Death to self. And it's death to self that sets us free to live forever. That's where it happens. That's why Jesus died and then he lived. <laughs> He's the first one. He showed us the way. Okay? So we need to understand that if we're going to truly live the way that God's called us to live if we're going to live abundantly, if we're going to live in peace, if we're going to live in truth, if we're going to live in all the ways he described, in provision, we're going to live you know, in, in joy. All the kind of ways that he's described that we can live, if we're going to truly experience that, what's going to come after we die, then we live. You know, Part of the struggle that people have within the Christian faith is that they just they they struggle to hang on to their lives. I'm gonna hang on, I'm gonna hang on to my life. Well that very act of trying to hang on, hang on, hang on sets you in frustration, in frustration in your relationship with Christ. Because you're in the way. You're in the way. And I don't know that Jesus really, you know, shares his kingdom well. If I was the king, I wouldn't. You know, uh, he, he doesn't welcome you to his throne. And, and I suppose you can think of it that way any way you want, but there's only one king, one Lord. And that's him. Or you. You, you get it? So you need to, to get rid of that 
part of the equation so that you can live in the good part of the good side of the equation of what he has for you. All right, let's look at some more verses. Somebody look at, um, did we look at 2 Corinthians 5 yet? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. It wasn't going to blow up. It was just full. <laughs> no, it just, it just lets us know it's full. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compelled us All right, so did that just say what I just said in about three seconds? Yeah, why did I take 20 minutes on that, right? No, seriously, did you see what that said there? Very concisely. Okay, it described, and it describes the work of Jesus. It describes the purpose and design of God and what Jesus has done. That he died, but then he lived. Why? So that we can live. How do we live? We die to self and we live for him. He died so that we can all die, according to that verse, right? I'm not making this up, right? Help me out. Okay. So he died so that we could die. He's alive so that we can live for and to him. Right. All right. Excellent. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. All right. So, looking at that verse, talking about Jesus and part of the work that he did, he died so that the power of death would be broken over us. All right, the devil. He's the one that holds the power of death. So what does that mean? We don't need to fear death. Right. In fact, we die once and never die again. Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All right. I like the word disarm in that. They're disarmed. So what's the only way you're going to live in fear of death? Without Jesus. Without Jesus or your choice. Okay? Your choice. So as believers, as people in this room, as people listening to this that know Jesus, there, there's, there's no weapon against you. It's been disarmed. I mean, if you've died... 
You're not going to die again. Do you, do you get how that's di- just disarmed? It's like you're already done. You're done with that part. All right, so the devil, he can rage and he can talk about it and, he, you know, all these things, but that doesn't bother us. You think about the apostles. All those guys, I mean, 11 out of 12, or excuse me, 10 out of 11 of them uh, were martyred. 11 out of 12, probably, if you count the one they added. So 11 out of 12 of them were martyred. I don't think they were that worried about it. Did Stephen seem worried? Because he's the first martyr. They, They stoned him to death. Did he seem very worried about it? He didn't seem worried to me about it. They describe what happened. He's preaching right up to the end. He's just giving both barrels, letting them know. Here's the truth. He's a deacon, all right? They stoned him to death. He's ready to die. What's his thought? Oh, no, I'm going to die? No, don't hold this against him. Don't hold this against him. And then the Bible says that heavens are open and he described what he saw there with Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He does not seem distraught to me. And I don't know that as you read uh, through the accounts and other historical accounts of how the apostles died, any of them seemed distraught. See, that had already been taken care of in their brains, in their minds, in their hearts, in their spirit, in their lives. That was taken care of. And so what, what needed to happen is they're going to live. Well, what's going to happen if somebody takes their life? They're going to live. They're not worried about that. They're not worried about what the threats these people are making against them. They're not worried about the things these people are trying to scare them with. Devil's been disarmed. His big threat, he doesn't have it anymore. We're going to live. And and there's something about, and I've been around enough people that are dying in my life, just by nature of what I do. Not that I'm following him around, waiting for him to die or anything, but you know, I get the call and it's time to go see him. But there's something about people that know Jesus and they're just at peace when they're on death's doorstep. That's inspiring. It's like just live it, live it, live it. It's almost like I don't even have anything to say half the time. You know, they're just waiting. Like they're going to be translated in a moment. And they're going to lie. They're going to be living. Then they're going to live. And they know it. There's something really inspiring about that. It, it, to, to just live our lives. There's something really inspiring about that. Just to go about doing what God's called us to do. And it's just a reminder that we don't have to live in that kind of fear and that kind of dread and that kind of that hopelessness that the world lives in. We don't have to live like that. And watching people actually live and go from life to life is inspiring for other people to see it. And I want to be that. I want to be that. And it's one thing for me to sit here and say, I'm going to be that, but who knows till you get there, right? You know, I've told the story of a skydiving. It's like, I thought I was going to love it, but who knows until you actually jump out of a plane, right? You don't know. But then I jumped out of the plane and I loved it. (laughs) All right. So I was right. So I hope I'm right about this. I do. I hope I'm right about this because I just want to be, I want to be that. I believe I'm going to be that. 
And as I watched my people die before me, and, and I've seen how they died and how they went out, it's like, I think I can be that. I really believe it. And I've seen enough of my people do that, that I just really believe it's just part of our life to life. The only time I can really teach on this is when somebody hasn't died, all right? Because I don't want to be insensitive to people that are suffering loss, right? I'm not going to get up at a funeral and, and, and teach this. Because you mourn with those who mourn, you rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the Bible says. All right, but, we're, but to my knowledge, we're all good right in a second. And, and I want to just say this. I want to say this, is that we have this moment that we can make a decision that we're going to live. And we're going to live, and then we're going to live, because we've just already died. And that part is done. And so instead of worrying about all the rest of that stuff, let's just live. You know, Aaron was talking yesterday, and I was thinking about that. It's like some of the places, you think about those places where people go, our people go, or we go. Some of the things that, that we've been through, some of the things that we've seen, some of the threats that have been made, guns that have been pointed, police actions that have been taken, detentions that have occurred, military vehicles pulling up on the side of the road, Everything blazing. You think about those kind of things, it's like, where are we? We're in places that nobody else wants to go. Why? God called us. How you function in a place like that? Well, you already died, so might as well live it out. You might as well live it out. And once you realize that this is your life, and you realize this is your call, and you realize you already died, and it's just life to life, there's something freeing about that. There's something freeing about walking in to a situation that others might look at and say, you're crazy, or that's dangerous, whatever it is. But there's something about that that allows for that to happen. And it just every now and then we got to be reminded about who we are. Every now and then we got to be reminded about what that means. The Bible says in this verse, says he's Lord of the dead, but it also says he's Lord of the living. And Jesus said that in Matthew uh, 22, 32, Matthew 22, 32, he describes, it says the Bible says that he's God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Right? And he's using this, he said, he's Lord of the living, not of the dead. All right? Now, we know he's Lord of the dead, too. But Jesus was making a point here, and the point he was making was that there's a resurrection, and there's a life, that we go from life to life. And that was the point he was making in this, is that, that God is God of, of these people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, they're still alive. That was the point. They're still alive. And he's still their God. He's still their Lord. And so they translate. They went in the twinkling of an eye. They, they went from life to life. They've already done it. They've already made it. 
Jesus is describing them as already making it. They've already done that. He'd already done that. They had already done that. Super important part of who we are is to understand that. The resurrection, the life to life, is a key component of being a Christian. I know we celebrate every Easter. I know, you know, we sing all the hymns and, and songs and, and we're all happy about it and stuff. Jesus has risen and we greet each other on Easter Sunday and everything. But that is so important if we're going to live how God called us to live. Like more than once a year. That we're actually going to live it. Well, we got to understand life to life. We got to understand we already died. It's done. And now it's life to life. If we're actually going to live it out. So I look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20. 1 Corinthians 6.20. I got a few more verses for you. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. All right, so, so there's this idea that, that a price has been paid. That's why we look at that word, Lord of the living. What is that word, Lord? Ruler, owner. The price has been paid. And so our consideration needs to be that we live to him. That's the consideration for the price that's been paid. So in other words, you know, we, we look at that and the Bible describes the price has been paid by his blood, has been paid by his sacrifice, has been paid by what he has done. Well, that's purpose and design. Christ has been paid, so he died so that we all may die. And he lived so that we all may live. So our consideration is, is that the price that has been paid for us is that we now live to him. 1 Peter 2.9. First Peter two nine. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. A possession. He's the owner. What's our consideration? We live to Him. And I know some of you don't like this language, but I don't know how else to get around it. You can't. You don't get around this. You die once. You don't die again. You go from life to life. He's the owner. You live to him. 1 Peter 1.18 Keep going. All right. So the idea and what you're seeing here, again, is the consideration that he's Lord of the living. In other words, he's Lord of your life. So he's Lord of the death, Lord of the dead, and Lord of the living. You die once, 
you never die again. You live and you go from life to life. Now, I know I've said that a few times, but I want it stuck somewhere in your head. Because that's God's design and God's purpose. I hope you could hear each of these verses saying the same thing over and over again. Because I, I wanted to point out the number of times, not only did Paul say this, but Peter said this, not only in one book, not only in two books, but a bunch of books, not only did Peter say this and Paul say this, but also Jesus said this too. So I want it clear that this isn't just something that's written in one spot. This isn't just something that's written in one place. But it's something that was written numerous times because it's something that I believe God has for us as a truth. As a truth for me, a truth for you. Because if you can get it, if you can get it, you can be set free from fear. Am I saying you'll never be afraid again? No. No. I'm not saying that. I can't guarantee that. But you don't have to live that way. I can say that. And there's a freedom in knowing you don't have to live that way. There's a freedom in knowing that you can make a different decision. There's a freedom in knowing that provision has been made for you to live differently. There's a freedom in knowing that your enemy's been disarmed. There's a freedom in knowing that your enemy's been defeated. There's freedom in that. So ultimately, the way God made us, we got choices to make. We just have choices. And I'll go back to one of the original points I made tonight, and that's this, that there's just certain things that you're going to apprehend by faith. And not by smarts or figuring it out. You're not going to be able to apprehend this that way. It's too big, at least to me. And so I need to take hold of this. I need to own this by faith. As simple as, okay, that's what the Word of God says. If I can. That's the way I'm going to grab hold of this. All right, let's take a few moments and respond. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Just let him, just let him minister to you tonight. Because I think he wants to minister to us tonight. I think he wants to really speak to some areas of our life that we just need to let go of. Some things that we've been holding on to that are of no value and no advantage. And it's just time to let go. And really just take hold of what God's saying. And maybe let that mustard seed of faith, that little bit of faith you got, 
really take hold of some of this tonight. Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you that you got a plan, you got a purpose, you have a design. And I want to say thanks for that. I want to say thanks that your purposes and your design aren't dependent on our understanding. They're not dependent on our experience. They're not dependent on us fully or completely being able to figure them out. They're not dependent on us really at all. They're what you've decided from the foundation of the world. What you said was going to be. And so I just ask tonight, Father, that we would put ourselves and come into line to come into line with what you've designed and what you've spoken and what you've purposed. Thank you and we praise you as Lord of the dead and Lord of the living. We worship and praise you as he who died and revived and lives. And I thank you that we can live our lives. We can live our lives free of the tyranny of fear. So I just ask that for some of us, we'd let go of some of that fear, some of that worry, and some of that anxiety tonight. Just let it go and just live. And just live. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, God. Yeah. Give you thanks and praise, God. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good to see you all tonight. Good seeing you tonight. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the Comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.